back to Nerd Alert, everybody. We are in Adelaide, Australia. I was gonna put on a fake Australian accent just now, but no, please don't. Nice. Please don't. Good day, we mate. <laughs> Weird. Anyway, I'm Kaylee Fretz. I'm James Wong. I'm Dave Rome. And I'm Dave Everett. We got all four of us here. We are in the paddock at the Tour Down Under, uh, straight across the street from the Team Hotel, the Hilton here in Adelaide, where all the riders are staying. This is where all the mechanics are spending most of their time. Bikes all over the place, and we are going to go on a little walkabout to kick off this week's Nerd Alert. Well, and what's really cool about Tour Down Under, as far as how it's set up, is that unlike every other race that we go to where teams are scattered across God knows how far, um, here, everyone is under this one big giant tent, and so we can actually hit all the men's teams, at least anyway, uh, in you know one little sitting. We can kind of look at them all in like 15 minutes. Pretty handy. Set the scene for us, Shadi Dave. What does this look like? Well, it's well, big, huge marquee with uh, team mechanics having their own little booths. Each team's got enough space for three, four mechanics to sit in there, tinker with bikes, and then all the bikes are racked up outside of them little booths. There's a short walk space between each of them for the riders to roll out. And then there's also a carousel and a Ferris wheel. There's a petting zoo outside. <laughs> and a coffee machine at yep, the back. Yep, coffee I machine at the back. I think this is the petting zoo. I think you can pet the riders in here, right? Uh, I think that's, like part, that? that's part of the appeal, yeah. yeah. I th yeah. So right go, now, NGTOR Le Mondial is sort of rolling in and then rolling out. They're all going on their their pre on under training ride. So Monday, there's no actual racing. They all did that crit last night, and then the actual race is gonna kick off tomorrow, and it's raining today. It's, uh, it's cool outside, it's raining, and they're all kitted up and go for a little spin. You can see the guys who have forgot to pack the leg warmers, check the long-range forecast, and was like, it's gonna be all right. <laughs> Well, right now, I would say that I'm wearing pretty much every piece of warm, warm clothing that I have that I brought with me, and I could use another layer. So I think what we're going to do here is we're going to wander to each one of these booths, and we're going to apply our uh, expert insight and analysis to the setup that each of these teams are running. All right. How about we start right here with Sunweb here? What do, i got to turn around. What do we got? So the thing that stands out to me is that whereas in years prior, there's always been this movement to, you know, slam that stem, you know, get your front end as low as possible. And on the Cervelo S5 aero bike that they're using, that's especially, that would normally be especially true since it actually also looks the best and is, is the most aero when that handlebar is, or when that stem is kind of in line with the top tube. But here, you're seeing a lot of guys that are actually running a lot of spacers, and I think that's finally uh, a nod to the fact that it's more important to have a good bike fit and be able to be comfortable and produce good power than to be aero. Because it is a considerable drop on these when you've got it slammed, as Fully you say. Slammed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I went to the launch, and this bike is seriously fast. It impressed me. It just holds its speed really, really well. So, yeah, it's quite interesting to see them raising that that bad yeah. stem it's also the science in it is that you don't lower isn't necessarily more aero uh you can actually be a little bit more upright and then have a flatter profile on the bike and that's what a lot of these riders are now realizing uh so you can have it all uh you just can't have the slam that stem look we've seen that uh the same thing in, the t in time trial bikes as well so aero bars are getting higher and narrower right it's a uh, it's it's as the as these riders are spending more and more time in the wind tunnel sort of understanding those positions a little bit better Things are changing. Give it time. We'd have endurance geometry aero bikes before we know it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Anything else about these bikes? We've got a, uh, a combination of disc and rim brake 
options. Yep. yep, so they're one of the few teams that are still mixing and matching. So many teams this year have actually are committed to disc brakes. Uh, I think the count, something like 12 or 13 out of the 19 teams have committed solely to disc brakes. Uh, but yeah, so uh, Sunweb rim brakes for their lighter R-series bike and disc brakes for the S-series bike, which is the error. So Dave, right next to Sunweb here is Mitchelton Scott, mm -hmm. and you're a particularly big fan of the paint jobs, I hear. I'm loving the metallic uh, fade paint job on these bikes. Yeah, you get in the sun, it just glimmers. It's a really classy bike they're on. Uh, What's interesting with this team is in previous years, they've actually ha always uh, had the team across two bikes, the foil aero bike and then the Addict lightweight bike. But this year, the team's committed solely to disc brakes and solely to the Addict RC. Which, which, may which maybe makes things easier for the mechanics too. Correct, yeah. Um, and the Addict RC, is, it's one of those new bikes that really merges the lightweight platform with the lessons learned in the aero. So you can see it's, it's got all the concealed cables. It's got uh, the aero cockpit up the front. It's got some aero frame tubes, uh, but it's still light. So it's sort of like... Arguably, you know, best of both worlds. I like the number mounts on those Scots. Yeah. Very clean. It's like, like they've just sort of epoxied on a little tab. I think that's exactly what they did. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Dave, you missed out. If you're liking glitter, look at Sunweb's bottles. <laughs> Glittery Sunweb bottles. Mm. And what you're seeing there is also one of the only changes to the bike for 2020. Uh, new color bottle cage. Ooh. Every day's a school day. <laughs> All right, what do we have here across the hallway? Over to Agia Désert Le Mondial. A brand that is known, a team I should say, that is known for chopping and changing kit quite often. I was surprised to see that they stayed with uh, a clothing sponsor for more than one year this year. <laughs> Roman Bardet is here. They're, they're, well, team leader, I would say. Pretty safe Pretty safe to say that. We've also got Larry Warbass, the American. Uh, those guys, a bunch of them just rolled out. They're on these Eddie Merckx bikes this year. Yep. So the two models. Uh, the one that we're looking at here, I have completely forgotten the name. James, do you remember the name of this nope. model? Nope. Anyway, so uh, basically what <laughs> Actually, it is, it's a... Sorry, sorry, it's the Stocko. I can see it on the chain stage. Yes. Okay, <laughs> Stocko 69. It's uh, basically a repainted Ridley Helium. Uh, and then that is with rim brakes. And then what you'll see them race in later in the year is the new Eddie Merckx 525. Just a little bit more aero, and that'll be disc brake. So another team that is mixing and matching. Because Ridley owns Eddie Merckx now. Correct. Yes. All under the same parent company. Yep. And I would love to talk about the tires on these bikes, but I've been expressly directed and requested that we do not talk about the tires do on these bikes. Do not talk about the tires. So we're not going to draw any attention to the tires that they are running on these bikes whatsoever. Correct. Quantum, None at all. Quantum Mavics. Mavinentals. Moving on. <laughs> Dave. Another of your favorites, Ooh, Astana. These are right. this, this one actually is my favorite. There's something about this color that I think might be uh, on my next bike. So Velier uh, clearly hired a graphic designer sometime in the last year or so who their is bikes very, awesome. very good at their job. I had that red one for the Taiwan KOM, absolutely gorgeous. Every time I put a photo up of it, everybody was clamoring for it. These bikes, the Astana bikes, also Gorgeous. Make sure that you go check these out on segmenttips.com. We've oh, got photo galleries up. Oh, done. Gorgeous. And then there's, it's like um, a, a model with something just slightly off. And this would be the um, little box underneath the top ah. tube in the seat tube. That just ruins it for me. Yeah. It is very unfortunate. And, and yeah. yeah. You'll be seeing a lot of that because, like Mr. and Scott committing to the addict, uh, yeah, Astana have committed to the Willia Zero SLR for the entire year. 
Uh, so one bike to do it all. I like the uh, the name badges on these. They're kind of raised plastic. I like them. They're puffy stickers. Yeah. Um, I like how this stem is called stem. How many M's do they have on there? <laughs> it depends <laughs> on one, long one for it? every no, no, forty and, mil. And the bar is the bar. Huh. <laughs> okay then. You know they Clever. hired a graphic designer that is clearly doing so some they, great work. They maybe might want to work on the person who's doing the naming. They need more. a copy editor or mm. a copywriter of some sort. All right, next. And clearly not. They've not producing enough uh, bar and stem lengths for the. The team to all go for the integrated version. Movistar and Movistar, their canyons. Indeed. So we have a major drivetrain wheel sponsor swap with these guys. Yeah, because they were on uh, Campagnolo last year for wheels and drivetrains and brakes. Last year and the previous 30-something years. 37 or 38 years, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and now they just switched to SRAM and ZIP. Uh, not for cockpits because they run integrated canyon stuff, but yeah, they are running SRAM and ZIP across the board. Kind of a big deal. Huge deal. And what's interesting is uh, while they're all new bikes, that you can see that Kenyon hasn't gone to the the full effort of giving them entirely new bikes that are dedicated to that group set because they still have cable ports on them for uh, wired shifting, even though they don't need those cable ports anymore. Well, I mean, in fairness, in, I mean, yeah. they don't really have to. And, I mean, they're really ultimately probably just custom-painted off-the-shelf bikes, pretty. which... If that's what they really are, I mean, yeah. I think that's admirable. Absolutely. I'd rather see it that I way. I think it does prove that these guys are riding production bikes. They've also got the new Physic uh, carbon 3D printed saddles on. The adaptive saddle, which was launched at Eurobike, yeah. Looks like it was made by bees. Loving bees. The saddles almost look like they glow in the dark. <laughs> they actually do, yeah. Um, well, I don't know if they do, but they look like that. So. All right. Israel Cycling, nope, Israel Startup Nation. Wait, Israel start, start, how do you, how do you start, start hyphen, hyphen up, nation. up Start hyphen capital U up. Yep. Mm -hmm. On Factor. Mm-hmm. A mixer of the VAM, and the, the, which is the climbing bike, and the one which is the aero bike, with its crazy double down tube. Yeah. Can someone explain to me the big hole in the down tube? So from the side, the Factor 1 aero road bike is definitely a little unusual. You have the, the the fork with the external steer tube that goes in front of the head tube and that basically effectively kind of lengthens the length of that aero section so it's a little bit faster supposedly. And then uh, with the down tube I mean it's like a baseball bat. It is absolutely massive and then the whole thing has a slot down the middle of it and it supposedly makes it more aerodynamic. If there's a lot of noise in the background right now that's because the Bora Hansgro mechanics are Air blasting a frame. I go there over and I go and have words that sort him out. <laughs> it is wet outside. It is gross and wet outside. Anything else about these factors we should be mentioning? Yeah, so uh, this is an interesting one. This is one of the ones where the owner of Factor actually gave us the heads up that uh, they are responsible for supplying basically the whole bike to the team. So the group sets are supplied by Factor with Durace, uh, and then uh, Factor's sister company, Black Ink is uh, taking care of cockpits and the wheels. Um, then you've got all these smaller sponsors. You've got like KMC Chains. Uh, they're actually using Swiss Stop 
brake rotors and brake pads. So yeah, there's a fair bit going on if you if you take a close look at these bikes. I've actually had very good luck with those Swiss stop pads in terms of uh, keeping brakes quiet. So maybe these will be some of the quietest, quietest disc brake bikes in the Pro Peloton. Well, I dare say, given that Swiss stop does absolutely nothing other than brake pads and rotors and that sort of thing, um, they, they seem to have a good handle on what they're doing. Because if they didn't, they'd be out of business. Yep. What is interesting about the, um, the factor bikes as well is the, the deal came together quite relatively late that they didn't have the colour scheme ready and the guys' home bikes are actually a different colour to the race bikes and the home bikes only come with Ultegra. We've skipped Bora. We've skipped Bora. Well, well, no, they're on the other side. We'll, 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 we'll come back around. Once he puts the air compressor All right, down. NTT, formerly Dimension Data, here with their BMCs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, not a whole lot new on these. Uh, they're kind of carryover bikes from last year, but in a new paint. So, yeah, still running Envy uh, components and wheels and still running rotor power meters uh, with Shimano shifting. Lovely gold chains. <laughs> I'd, give him, I'd give him that. That's all we got to say about these. Not a, not a, whole, lot of, not a whole lot new. Pretty straightforward. Uh, I do. I, I appreciate, like, once again, the epoxied on number plate holder. One of those very pro things. That's I've all got, I got. Onward? Got, Onward. Let's keep walking. Are we allowed to slag off that bottle cage they've got going on? Yeah, yeah, we can slag that off. Oh, What's going dear. on here? Oh, on the time machine road bike. Yeah, so well, it's nifty and integrated and with the special bottle looks pretty cool. With a regular bottle, it looks strange. Well, what could be a little Not bit strange. awkward is that, Dave, you pointed out... Um, that BMC is one of the teams that switched bottle cage sponsors from Elite to Tax. Uh, uh, no, that was Michelin Scott. But maybe it was these guys too. I don't know. Well, the thing is with the BMC Time Machine, that custom proprietary integrated bottle cage that they run on that Aero Road Bike, mm -hmm. uh, if I remember correctly, was was developed for them by, by Elite. Elite. Yep. Yep. And they've got a Tax bottle in it. And they have a Tax bottle in it. Awkward. Is that is that like running like Shimano pedals with a campy crank set? Yes. Is yeah. that like one of those things? Yep. Are they going to melt together? They're going to combust? <laughs> Minus 50 watts for such a combination. Yeah. Okay, Groupama. Groupama F de Jeu. Uh, on Lapierre. As they have All been for quite some time. All sorts of swoops happening on these frames. It's like it's wanting to be a GT triple triangle design, <laughs> but it's scared to be. Yeah. So, so this is one of those teams that are on their way to being committed to disc brakes. So they have some 20 riders that have chosen to race disc brakes, and they've got about seven guys who are the climbers in GC who apparently uh, have chosen to stay with rim brakes for now. Uh, I am. I did get told, uh, perhaps I shouldn't repeat this, but there may or may repeat not it. be a new aero bike on the way that may be waiting for them in Europe. Uh, mm. So, yeah, stay tuned on that one. So it that might be why there's two different paint jobs as well. The uh, the aero bikes have got last year's paint job. Yep, exactly. It is worth mentioning that the teams often don't bother to send new bikes down to TDU. Most of the bikes we're seeing here are, are the legit 2020 bikes, but it's not always the case, so particularly if not much is happening on the sponsor front. So I'm going to say something which might get me in a lot of hot water, but we'll just keep it to ourselves, You're okay? So uh, there's a few teams with old... I'll say last year's bikes here, uh, and it's not because they've got new painted bikes waiting for them uh, back at the service course. It's because they've got wholly new bikes waiting for them in, in a couple of months to come. Mm. 
So, you know, why go to all the effort of having repainting old frames when you know there's something new coming? Talk about the amount of kit they bring over. We found out how many kilos each team are allowed, or how much, how many kilos each team pack to bring over. Here. Let's have a guessing game. Me and Dave know. Dave, 821 kilos. Are you? That was scarily close. Yes. <laughs> really? Yeah. Hmm. It's roughly about 800 kilos. And that's that's doing a light. Right. Yeah. That's Some a teams lot. are going all over that by a fair bit. Yeah, mm. it's a lot of excess baggage you're paying, isn't it? That's a lot of excess baggage. <laughs> and that doesn't even include all the things that they choose to leave in Adelaide each year. So a lot of these teams actually uh, take the generosity of, say, Mitchell and Scott, who have uh, local warehousing here, and keep a lot of their heavy, like, workshop items and stuff. They keep their, their old ones here. Uh, so that 800 kilos could easily be a whole lot more. Bro, so, are you going to wander around and tell us who has the coolest uh, toolbox at some point? I'm uh, sure you can't talk about people like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very personal thing, Kelly. It is a very, very personal, personal thing. <laughs> but uh, to answer that question very briefly, yes. uh, the coolest ones are the ones that don't have tool sponsors, mm. where they can use whatever they want and right. wherever their heart desires. We're here at Kofidis on DeRosa. And for people who live in France, that's Kofidis. <laughs> If you've listened to that ad 10 million times. <laughs> yeah. That would drive me crazy. So yeah, Designed by Pininfarina, apparently. Uh, yeah, so first time we've seen DeRosa back in the world tour in many, many years. Uh, more than two decades, is it? Yeah, yeah, since Jewis, Jewis, whatever. Jewis. Oh, Biani Reese's first time, I think. Yeah, Biani Reese's first team, I want to say, but I might be wrong there. Yeah, so, and with that, they've got two new models for 2020. The Aerobike and the Merak, the uh, the all-rounder. Uh, and with those bikes, they've gone to the FSA ACR integrated cabling system, James. Which looks very clean. I mean, so instead of having to develop their own setup, um, what FSA does is they provide a modular uh, cockpit components that OEM companies can basically just buy off the shelf and mix and match, or teams in this case, can mix and match as they see fit and as the rider fits uh, so that you still have a really clean front end and it, you kind of have a little bit more of a flexible setup. Campagnolo disc brakes. They are, I think they might be my favorite, Is actually. Is there formula? Magura. Collaboration, right? Magura. Oh, Magura, Magura collaboration, that's right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, yet another team that's gone fully disc brake for 2020. Uh, and when you think about the teams that have been adopting disc brakes, a team like Kofidis didn't really seem like the sort of team that would with mm. a brand like DeRosa Pignolo, it's it's a surprising move. Although I dare say that if someone were to come up to Kofi Dees and be like, hey, we want to sponsor your team, but there are conditions, Kofi Dees may not be in a position to be like, no. James, are you suggesting that it's money that's uh, making people ride disc brakes? Never. Money has nothing to do with anything in the world. Okay. <laughs> All right. The DeRosas have surprised me, if I'm honest, because previously... I've always thought them of a little bit more of a, a fashion brand yeah. rather than a, a high-tech brand. So, yeah, like Viviani coming over from riding Specialized to riding a brand that, I, let's say, hasn't got as much money for investment in aerodynamic testing and stuff has surprised me. But the bikes are looking very sweet. Cockpits in general are really clean this year. Yeah. 
it's exceptionally clean. I think that the, the disc brakes help that. A lot of these are running internal all the way down to that front disc. So you don't even have a front. I mean, look, these, look at these DeRosas. There's literally not a cable sticking out, period. Yeah. It could yeah. be, it it looks could be like wireless it just, for all we know. It just looks like it hasn't been built yet, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's super impressive. Uh, like I said, I, I did chat with Nathan Haas after the crit last night, and he mentioned that those Michelin Power tubulars, which they're on, he said that's the first time he's ever raced on them, and he was very, very pleased. So I've never actually been on these, but it was wet last night. It was slippery. He said they were great. Again, could be lying to me. It is a sponsor. But yeah. he seemed to be honest at the time. Yeah. Michelin have got perfect testing area for the tires where they're based in France. They certainly, it's one of those companies, it's like Continental. They have a lot of sort of R&D power, and they know a lot about rubber, and so not too surprising that they would have a, a, a really solid compound. I mean, we know this from years and years and years, that teams will switch, they'll have like a secret set of Conti tires when they're not sponsored by them, switch to those for rain. I think that Michelin's kind of in a similar boat. Yeah. And, and speaking of uh, tire brands with a lot of resources, uh, Pirelli is now on two teams uh, mm. this year's, uh, in this year's World Tour, so... Uh, Trek Sigafredo and uh, Michelin and Scott, both on Pirelli. Who apparently have helped to develop them from the word go, mm, I was told, by the mechanic. But yeah, the, back to the Michelin, where they're based in France, there's a mountain that is closed, I think it's two days a week, I might be one or two days a week, to road traffic. So they, you, I have heard that Michelin go up there, use the opportunity as a, an open, empty road to really put the tyres through the paces. Put a, put a dude in a bunch of like hockey gear and just send him down the mountain? Yep. <laughs> Seems mean. All right, let's move on over to INEOS here. INEOS is not a member of the disc brake revolution here. They no. are still on rim brakes across the board with their Pinarello F12 Lite. They do have direct mount rim brakes. They can or run X -Lite, a really big me. tire. Do some groating. They're also not a member of nice looking bikes. <laughs> Oh, Are we allowed oh, to say dude, that? that? That's a little. That's a little harsh. I mean, beauty's in the eye of the beholder, right? Yeah. I. I will. It's, yeah. The the twelve, the F twelve, has some weird curves. The top tube hunchback thing is not my favorite. Some, I will some, say some weird curves and straight lines and bulges and little nips and tucks and. It's been very so Pinarello. I, I would put in very much the same category uh, as what you were saying about DeRosa. Sort of a. A fashion brand, so to speak, and you know they—they're often historically have been some interesting twists and curves in their frames that are definitely not for performance, right? So I always found it a very strange brand to be associated with the team marginal gains. I, I do think they've had a, a reasonable amount of money invested into making sure the bikes are competitively fast. Uh, the but yeah, I mean, certainly, point arrow. yeah. Certainly there are, you look at the bikes and there certainly are some elements that you're like, surely that can be for no other reason than aesthetics. Yep. Which uh, adds weight. I mean, anytime you, you add a kink or a curve, yeah. it adds weight. Which is why they're, you know, if the F12 wasn't to your budgets and you just wanted to spend a little bit more, that is why Ineos are on the F12 X Lite. Just, you know, you save 60 grams and you, you know, another thousand euro here or there. It's, uh, you know, there's always some weight to be tuned out of these bikes. I think in black, they look pretty good. Well, you know, black helps everything look better, right? Kind of it's slimming, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they do, they do need some slimming, let's yeah. be honest. And that, speaking of that black, just, uh, you know, it's covered in the galleries on the site, but uh, that black paint is uh, is actually kind of a clear coat for them, and it saves weight compared to the, the black and red fade that you might see in their, their normal uh, 
promotional materials. Because if we think back to the Tour de France last year, remember they showed up with all those lightweight wheels? Mm -hmm. That is because they were basically struggling to get these bikes down below 6.8 kilos. Yep. And hey, why hey, they're resisting disc brakes? Wait. Hey, yep. there's some washed up pro who just walked in here. Washed up ex-pro, I should say. Ah. Where? Am I missing Fabian. something? Oh, Fabian. Fabian yeah. is here. He's with BMC this year. Well, yeah. no, he's riding BMC this year. He's left Trek behind. They, Trek yeah. lost him and they lost Contador. And he's on SRAM. Back on SRAM. Yeah, sponsored by SRAM. Should we go to Lotto Sudal here? Indeed. Disc brakes, disc brakes. Disc brakes and Campagnolo again. So I'm hearing the disc brakes uh, add a little bit of weight to the bikes. Uh, something like Adam Hansen was able to hit his 6.8 kilo weight limit always with his previous helium with rim brakes. Now he's going north of seven kilos on the same bike. Mm. Just the disc brakes. Sad for him. Little sad for him, but uh, generally speaking, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, they don't have a say. Bahrain McLaren, one of three teams now associated with an F1 team, Israel Start-Up Nation, just announced that they are associating with Williams. Not the, the worst F1 band. team. <laughs> Which helps explain the giant front and rear wing on this thing for, for more downforce. <laughs> Yeah, we've got three of these now. This one is actually McLaren is, is you know, a title sponsor, which is uh, mm -hmm. somewhat unique. And they're on these Merida bikes. I think the reason behind that is part, well, obviously partially because um, Bahrain, they own something like 51% of McLaren, I have heard. Yeah. So effectively, it's really the Bahrain, Bahrain, meets, uh, the Bahrain, Bahrain team. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, 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 like, that's like Mitchelton Scott, which is just, you know, various Jerry Ryan companies. So they just swap whatever one they want for a given season. Dave, what do we know? What do, what's noticeable, or I guess what's notable about these Maritas here? Uh, they too have gone disc brakes for 2020. Um, new paint, which actually is quite nice. And they were always, last few seasons, they've been on SRM's Origin crank, the carbon crank. Uh, they are now on Shimano Juros Power Meters, uh, even though I don't believe they are officially sponsored by Shimano. Well, I mean, they're, they're running Vision Wheels and uh, FSA Cockpit, so I think it's safe to say that they are not officially sponsored by, by Shimano. Whose is this bike here? Because that is a big frame with very narrow bars. Novaks. Novak. Question, question. Does anyone else see something wrong with the C-Post clamps here? Haha, <laughs> yeah. It says rear. And it's facing forward. And that one's well, saying no, rear, I mean, it's the, upside the, down. The, 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 the seat post <laughs> clamps are oriented properly. The bikes are backwards. Ah. Mm. Yes. Makes, makes perfect For sense. For when you're reversing. But, <laughs> but I will say that's something that I have always noticed with with these uh, with this team. They, for some reason, always run the seat post clamps the other way from what Marita specifies. And I don't know why. We could ask. They're taking our picture now. Everyone smile. <laughs> you know, I think we should walk over to the team right now and ask him this question right now. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. We have a question for you. So we've always noticed that you guys, for whatever reason, take the seat post clamps and put them on opposite from what Merida is printed to, yeah, to put on there. Why is that? Is because of the numbers. So they can uh, go inside. Otherwise, they will start, start, start bending. Ah, ah, it's a number plate thing. Okay. So basically, there's a little slot in the uh, seat post binder, and, and the number fits in that slot and then attaches clever, y clever. Yet another example for why pro riders' needs are not the same as everyday people. <laughs> oh. Well, I mean, I need to put a number plate on my bike, so I should flip that around. <laughs> you should try, eh? <laughs>
Will do. Thank you very much. Thank you. Awesome. Cheers. There we go. We got we, the, the definitive answer. The hard-hitting reporting that our audience has come to expect from Cycling Tips. We now know why <laughs> their seat post clamps are backwards. We're back over at Bora, back to where there's a lot of... Um, noise. A lot of noise, so we do apologize for that. They are on Specialized, still. They are Unsurprisingly. On, indeed. Including considering uh, Specialized is paying a lot of Peter Sagan's salary. Yeah, indeed. And which includes Roval Wheels. Uh, they are, uh, I think this is one of the teams that it, they might be buying their Shimano stuff. Are they on the tubeless? Uh, they are not on tubeless. So this one, is that? Nope. Nope. They're, they're trialing it. Well, this one might that be. That one is. This yeah, one so is. They are trialing yeah. tubeless. They're the running moment. a, so whereas Decoigne Quickstep has more or less switched over to tubeless, for Trialing. at least maybe half of the team or so. Uh, Bora is taking a little bit more of a measured approach, it seems, and then, like really just a couple of them are, are running tubeless right now. Um, so it'll still be interesting to see how that goes, but Kaylee, you and I have been riding the tires, and they are really good. They're really good. They're also really thin. But I've flatted them like eight times, but, but they're but, tubeless, and so they just heal themselves. Exactly, and for these guys, they don't really care. They want it to be fast, and if it heals itself, then they're all good to go. They are genuinely, so I'm on the 28s, and they're genuinely the nicest riding non-tubular I've ever ridden. Which, which says a lot because previously I knew you were on the um, specialized Hell of the North tires with a cotton casing. Cotton and, casing. And that tire was incredible. Also a beautiful tire. These though. But yeah, I mean, literally I feel like every single time I would ride through a little sort of bit of gravel on the pavement, I would end up with a and then it would heal itself. And it's fine. But there, there are... You know, there are eight or nine holes in those tires from probably less than 500 miles in riding. They're they've very, got, very thin. They've already got a few stage wins using these tires. Well, I think the first came in the Tour of California last year, where I can't remember now who won the stage, but he actually punctured with about 5k to go. Yeah. And still, he didn't realize until he got to the finish mm -hmm. that he had punctured. Yep. I punctured once in Taiwan on a little uh, pre KOM ride sprayed everybody behind me with sealant for a couple rounds and it only lost from a less than five psi yeah. i think i had 80 or 85 in there which is actually too much but yeah when i when i got home still totally rideable plenty of air it's very yeah. impressive the, so, um, the, the sealant that they're that they ship those with or at least that i got those with is this high pressure sealant and i don't really yeah. know what it is but when it comes out it turns black really quickly mm -hmm. and it works really well at those high pressures it's a unicorn blood. We're going to find yeah. out about it. So uh, just on that, uh, Dakunic Quickstep, they are moving a bit more aggressively to tubeless. And I was told the mechanic, they're currently uh, trying to get the whole team onto them by April. Uh, but they are still testing them. They want to see how it all goes in race use over the next few months. But they're pretty confident that by next year, they will have completely turned to tubeless. I think seven of the guys at the tour last year were using them for, I think, the first three, four stages. Morning, Good morning, George. Good morning, Kelly. I like your <laughs> Look at them shoes. Oh, check out the shoes. shoes. Tell us about the shoes. Give us a plug. Um, as many people know, my wonderful partner, Caitlin Fielder, Fine Art. These are actually an old pair. These are what I ran in last year. But um, Was it the rain pair now? Yeah, well, I don't. Yeah. I mean, it looks like they're going to be sacrificial lamb for the rain. <laughs> but uh, there'll be new ones coming out. But she's too busy painting other people's shoes. That's the problem now. Everyone's shoes. She's on Vanderpool's shoes and yep. everybody's shoes now. Yeah, yeah, there's a few more. Might be a couple of... Uh, you'll see another big pair coming out soon. Vanderpool's got like... Is it Fortnite computer game ones or something? Is he a, is he a like, gaming geek in real life? I don't know. I, I don't know. But apparently that was the order for, for 
where we were Googling Fortnite. <laughs> we didn't know, she, Caitlin was trying to pick the characters of which ones she needed to put on the shoe. And for all we know, we just put the most punishing, like, I don't know. So Vanderpool's a Fortnite guy. You heard it here first. All right. Thanks, Interesting. George. Not from me, though. <laughs> yeah, he actually tweeted out um, when they uh, updated the game or something. I haven't got a clue. Uh, and I was like, what's he tweeting this out for? Should we do, no. Oh, yeah. We just walked right past Cannondale and EF. So what do we got here? We have... Well, actually, first, before yes. we talk about the bike, one thing I just noticed is that... Uh, one of the cool things about laser helmets that I've always liked is they have this snap-on arrow shell thing yep. to cover up all the vents. And I'm just noticing now that the EF guys have that on their POC helmets, which they don't offer to the public, I believe. Mm. I, don't, I think there might be a patent on that idea by laser. Uh, I could, could be. be mistaken on that, but I... I well, so they probably can't that. sell it, but yeah. that doesn't restrict them from running it here. Especially right. when it's translucent and normally no one would notice. Except for me. Yeah. I, I don't know, because... Uh, I do know Orbea had a clip-on helmet, clip-on shell as well. Okay. Uh, well, right. I could be mistaken on that, but uh, Lachlan Morton's over here, and uh, it says hairy legs. Oh, join the club! Shorty. Yeah, join the club! <laughs> I've got an excuse. I've got uh, winter wookie legs for living in the Alps. So, just on the bikes, they've also gone disc only, but um, they. They do. Uh, they have an interesting item on the front of their bikes, which is Cannondale designed that bike to shroud the cables and hide the cables as they enter the front of the head tube. But uh, the team actually have sponsorship commitments with Vision and FSA, which don't allow them to use that handlebar. And so you can actually uh, see the cables flopping around in a not so glorious way. Not very glorious at all. It's the yeah. same with uh, Tibco. Is it Cannondale sponsored a women's team, Tibco? Yep. On their uh, Super Sixes, they've got mm -hmm. the, the same, same problem, deal. shall yep. we say. Yep. Them dropouts are gorgeous, aren't they? The rear hanger, sorry, not the dropout. The rear hanger on I them like, I like the whole look. The The System Six is really good looking with that, with that sort of... What would you, how would you describe that? Checkered? Not really checkered. Kind of it checkered. reminds me of like an 80s music video. Hmm. Yeah. I like it a lot. Shall All we right. move on? Yep. While we're wondering, we see a few riders walking and uh, uh, Bahrain McLaren have got, um, clothing-wise, a sponsor who we haven't seen in the Pro Peloton, in the World Tour Pro Peloton, in uh, Le Col. They did use to sponsor the Wiggins team back in the UK. Well, yeah, it's the first time we've seen them enter the, the world tour. It's a, it's a quickly growing clothing company. Yeah, yeah. Uh, founded by uh, ex-British pro Yanto Bark, if I remember rightly. Now we are in front of the Kooning Quickstep. Yeah. The Wolfpack. So the Wolfpack. The wolf back, to, uh, back to Specialized again. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we've already discussed the big things here. It's uh, Chibble's tires, and they're pretty much all on them, if I can see right. And they've also got an air fan <laughs> <an> <laughs> What is it with uh, the specialized teams and the freaking blowing air all over the place? It's so loud. So I count two riders on tubulars and everyone oh. else is on tubeless. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. And pretty fat tires. Lots uh, of 26s, 26s, 28s. Yeah, 26. UAE. Yeah, 26. Yeah. Here we go. So, UAE, they are on Colnago, which makes them the only team in the World Tour um, that is on a frame that is uh, made with lugs. I, if I had to take home any bike in this entire paddock, 
That would be it. C64. And C64. And only I'll join the club. one yep. of the Team Riders is on that frame, the C64. The rest are either on the Concept, the Aerobike, or the new V3RS, which is their all-rounder. The fact is that rider is the coolest guy on the team. Fact. I don't know who it is, but yeah. it clearly is. Yeah. <laughs> he knows his is stuff. Is his name on there? Yeah, his name is on there. It's, uh, is that Mr. Oh, it's Ulisi. I shot pictures of it yesterday, as a matter of yep. fact. Diego, Diego, mm -hmm. you are the coolest. Yeah. You know, I, I hope he gets to take that thing home at, you know, when all is said and done. Yeah, I would hope so. It's sweet. Hang yeah. on to that one forever. It looks to be about my size. Mm. They wouldn't know. No, but, yeah, they will never know. I think it's more like my size. You it's think? It's kind of big for you. So, but, yeah, I mean, from a practical point of view, the V3RS from Conago, uh, the company will claim themselves that is uh, compared to the C64, the lug bike, the, uh, the V-Series is lighter, stiffer, more aero, and arguably more comfortable as well. Functionally, it is hard to make the argument in favor of a lugged carbon fiber bike. Except it's awesome. Yet for, you know. Different it, is cool. It definitely tugs at the emotional purse strings, for sure. Yep. And uh, not to give away too much, but it is probably also the only actually Italian-made frame from Clamago. Mm. Uh, it is probably the only Italian-made frame. Well, let's put it this way. It's probably the only frame in only this Italian whole made room frame that is not made in Asia. Yep. I think. DeRosa, Asia. Probably. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Yes. yes. No, that's Pinarello, right here. Asia. Yeah, I yep. think the C64 is the only this is the one bike. Italian-made bike Diego in the world. Diego is the only rider on a non-Asian bike in this entire paddock. They're well, also using the uh, Bora WTO wheels. These are um, Campagnolo's top-end mm. Bora wheels, which were released, like, I think they were released only sort of a, a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Yep, with 12-speed uh, EPS from uh, Campagnolo and uh, rim brakes. Uh, James, what's this next one called? I can't pronounce it. Team CCC. I have and they're all gone. That. None of them are here. They are all gone. So we can't talk about their bike. Well, we know what they look like, but they're not here in front of us. So. Well, I think we can just go ahead and talk about it because yeah. we've already been looking at them a lot, and Giant clearly is not really hiding this fact anymore because they put the model name right on the top view now. They are riding a new TCR. Which yeah. looks a lot like the old TCR. Well, so from what we understand, I mean, it, visually it doesn't look very different from the old one, and it looks like there are some very modest arrow cues um, but it sounds like the big thing is that it is apparently a fair bit lighter than the current one. Yeah. So I was hearing uh, weights of about 6.4 kilos with 60 millimeter deep wheels. And to be fair, the wheels they're using, those Kdex, those new Kdex wheels, Very light. extremely light. But 6.4 kilos, so, and this is in a large size, um, they're all having to add lead weights underneath the bottle cages. Those Kdex wheels have those uh, fancy carbon fiber spokes. They do. They Very do nifty. Yeah. Very yeah. light wheel set. I think Hunt is the only other company using the same spoke that I've seen. Yep. But Kdex Giant say that they have they have basically bought up the entire supply for quite a while. So Hunt may be out of luck for, for a bit on that front. I think that wraps up our tour here. I think that wraps up our paddock tour. So the next bit of this episode, we chat with Adam Hansen. We did. We sat down. Well, so Dave and Dave and I, we sat down with Adam Hansen this morning because um, I mean, Adam has a reputation of being sort of the, the biggest tech nerd of the Peloton, I'd say. Nerd. Uh, but in a good way. Yeah. In, in a good, endearing way. Wow. And this is Nerd Alert. True. We like nerds True. here. And he has a new uh, collaboration partnership, or he's now an employee. I don't, know, I don't know what the official designation is, but he is now working with a company called 
well, we're, we're trying to figure this out if it's Leomo or, or Limo, um, but it's a basically a, a hardware and electronic sensor company thing. And uh, he is doing some pretty interesting stuff with it as far as bike fit and performance. So let's hear from Adam. Today with Lada Sudal rider Adam Hansen, one of the most consistent riders in the Pro Peloton, who notably holds the record for the most consecutive Grand Tour finishes with an almost inconceivable 20, spanning nearly seven years. That's a long time. That is. Maybe too long. Are you saying that it's a record that people aren't clamoring to, to go ahead and break? Um, well, I don't think it's a record that people will go for, but it's um, something very nice to have, though. What? I bet. I bet. I mean... The previous one was a Spanish guy, wasn't it? Yes, 12 times. And then there was controversy over that. He was a little bit upset that you broke. It was like, no, I'm pretty sure I did a couple more than that. <laughs> Actually, it was originally 10. When I got to 10, more than 10, it was like, no, 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 it's 12. But the, the 12 record was uh, when the Velta was in April. It was only two weeks long. It's unbreakable. It's that simple. Hope so. Yeah. I, I dare say it'll stand for quite a while. But... As impressive as your accomplishments are on the road, you are arguably just as well known for your tech savviness. Um, would, would you say that you're sort of the, the resident Peloton nerd? <laughs> um, maybe. The Iron Man, the Sto Tony Stark, the Elon Musk of the peddling world. <laughs> okay. <laughs> not, a, not a bad thing. But I mean, you—I would say you're you're a pioneer in positioning. I mean, you definitely question a lot of norms. Um, you you have a pretty long established history as a as a diehard weight weenie. Um, was it Zakin? Was that your, your yes, Zakin? Very good. Uh, you make your own shoes, uh, which I'm pretty sure no one else is doing. Um, and then you've also tapped into your previous life as a programmer to to write the software, the logistics software for your own team. Um, where does all of that come from? What's, what's the background there? Um, well, I studied uh, programming at school, and then I um, also went to university and studied it. And I just like problem solving. So that's also where the shoes came into it too, because I wanted to produce a, a lighter, uh, stiffer product. And with, especially working with composites, it's more like you, know, you have your end product or where you want to go. And what I was trying to do is work out the good methods to try and get there. How long were you in, how, well, I guess, how long were you a programmer before you got into pro cycling, though? Um, I worked full-time, I think, until the age of uh, 22 or 23. So, basically, um, yeah, basically from school, so 17 to 22. So, five years straight. And then, um, yeah, in between that, I was also doing university. Was that the initial plan, then? Go into that line of work before... You tackled the crocodile trophy, and someone went, "He's all right on a bike." <laughs> yeah, definitely. I was, um, yeah, I was a happy working programmer, and that's that's what I actually wanted to be when I was young to grow up. Just imagine you could have made a little bit more money doing that. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> do you miss it? Um, yeah, do I? Yeah, uh, well, I do. I used to um, love the life where you, we would have deadlines. You'd be up all night and you couldn't make them because you had someone else to make the deadlines for the projects and they'd give the, uh, the product to the programmers and we just like, okay. And then, um, you know, done a few weeks sleeping at the office. We actually had a bed in the office where we just like work all night and we'd have this coffee plunger each 
we're just like um, been drinking them all day and um, like I like things like this where because that's another thing for me like programming is you know you have the end product once again and there's so many different ways to um, write code to get to the end result now with sort of this latest thing that you've dived into uh, it seems to combine a lot of the things that you are obviously into I mean cycling and I guess not so much programming but I mean I guess just yeah sort of programming but body positioning and um, and basically just some pretty cool software and hardware. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what you are doing now? Yeah, so with Limo, we have um, basically these um, motion sensors that we place onto the body, and then we can just measure everything. The And I'll say it as broad as that. We can really measure anything possible on the body and also on the bike. So we've done some... Um, some also some tests where you put sensors on the bike to see what the actual bike does throughout the corner or how the bike uh, changes when you sit on the seat, for example, the flex of the seat. Um, and then with the motion tech that we put on the, the body, we actually see how all the limbs move and how they move and react to each other. Um, and it's a totally different way of looking into it because most of bike fitting procedures are done on joint angles. And with this, it's really the range of the movement. And you can argue, okay, it's the same thing because joint angles have a maximum range and a minimum range. But we can actually measure also what happens in between those maximum and minimum ranges and how that leg moves and if it slows down and if it accelerates again. Because each sensor has an accelerometer and a gyro, so we can really just measure anything. Right, because I guess when you look at the current 3D positioning stuff that's out there right now, I guess those are really just spatial position, right? Yep. I mean, they're, they're, they're captured by a camera. And then I, I guess they're more passive. I mean, they don't have accelerometers in there and whatnot, right? No, that's that's the exact point. So just with the um, just with the leg sensor, which is one of the things that um, we're looking to quite a lot at the moment, is so we can measure at the highest point and the lowest point. And when you say the other systems before, is it's just a capture at the highest point and the lowest point. But we can actually see the acceleration, how fast that <clears throat> leg accelerates to the end point, and we actually see like a, a kind of like a little dead spot. And this can happen because like you can have an ankling effect where someone's calf muscle might not be strong enough to hold the power onto the onto the stroke so <clears throat> when they're over gearing and they're pushing down and they're ankling and their their ankle drops um and then you'll see the accelerometer on the, on the thigh that will also increase but when he um, regains enough strength to support that power then we'll see the uh the accelerometer sensor slow down on the thigh and what we want to do is just make the position as fluid as possible and as efficient as possible how did you get connected with these guys i mean because it, it it is certainly a little bit unusual i mean again when we're not exactly speaking with it i guess it, quote-unquote typical pro rider um but it does seem a little bit unusual that you would want to dive into this sort of thing so deeply i mean how how, how did you get associated with leomo um well i love this stuff <clears throat> so yeah i really love this stuff and uh they reached out to me so i think uh and this is like I cannot say anything bad about the product, and if I if I had to, probably the worst thing about it is that it really goes over a lot of people's head, and they just um, they they really just don't understand it. So I think they really reached out to me because um, I just figured they thought that I'd be able to understand it, and um, yeah, and I and I enjoy it, and like you said, I'm a little bit of a nerd and a geek in the sense, and yeah, it's just worked out. Um, well for me because i love this tech and i love how it works and it's different and you got to be really open-minded and if you are like that uh you can see the possibilities of it you did say that it goes over a lot of people's heads we were in the presentation you took the other day and i must admit i probably took in i'm going to be conservative 40 percent 
because it's amazing how much this stuff can do. Like you say, it's not just your position, not just uh, your pedal stroke or your body positioning, but it's you can tell if someone's overgearing, if they should, they'll be more, um, if they'll be able to get more out of the body, if they downsize the gearing. Yeah, exactly. Like um, just with the example before with the ankling, um, so and because this is this is this is a device that we can put on you, test you in the lab. You go outside, and we can see everything what you do outside. <clears throat> and this also, you know, there's a huge difference between what a guy can do in a 30 second test in a lab, or at at the end of a four or five hour ride. And with the the overgearing you're talking about, if your body's not able to handle that gear, we can see when you start to break. And because we've got sensors on both legs, we can really see the difference in comparison. Um, and when a rider breaks and what moment in that race or <clears throat> in a longer training ride and you know if he does for example he does some efforts on the hills we can see okay when he pushes that gear on the hill that's when he starts to break when he goes back on the flat section he's pretty good again at this power so at this power at this cadence he's all good at together when he pushes a cadence you know a bit lower than you know 60 down to 50 at the same wattage things start to flex and if he's on the hill and he does the exact same power with a higher cadence and everything remains in a good position, then, yeah, we can recommend him to ride a higher cadence. Has it made you look at bike positioning, the way you ride a bike, differently than before you were using it? Because everybody, a lot, if you don't know, your bike's always been um, one that's been picked up by the press and thought, <laughs> this isn't typical. You run, what, it's 40, um, 400 mil bars? 36 mil bars, aren't they? Um, it's 36 from inside inside, yeah. Yeah, your seat post is flipped the other way around, much like a, a triathlete. <laughs> um, yeah, it's really changed a lot because, well, before everything was, you really trusted your bike fitter. And, and for me, like what I've seen a lot of times where a rider will give their bike to a bike, well, go into it, get a bike fit done, and the bike fitter already knows what he wants. And they all, a bike fitter will just pretty much put you in the position what he thinks is good. And he will send you in that direction where what he believes in. And some bike fitters want you slammed all the way forwards, all the way back, or, you know, they have their own theories. And, 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 and this is not bad, but a lot of bike fitters are very biased to what they want. Where with this system, it really shows what's really unique to you. So we have like the pelvic rock and the pelvic rotation. And, you know... It can be a better position to be more far forwards, but we can actually prove that based on your flexibility and your strength within the hip area, that that position doesn't fit you. Now, it could fit you in the, in the future, but then you've got to work on yourself with your core to be able to ride that position. And we can actually slowly push you into that direction. So with me and myself, like just little things that I worked out with, you know, when I'm sitting upright on the flat, that's my pelvic angle sits at one uh has one type of angle and when i'm more forwards on the bike in race position i didn't realize it before but when you're more forwards you're actually closer to the bottom bracket and i don't mean closer in a in a horizontal way but also also direct way um from <clears throat> point to point and because this my leg angle range changes so i'm actually sitting and for me if i'm more forwards in race position my leg angle is about um, 48 degrees, and when I'm sitting further back, my leg angle range is like 52 or 53, which is almost 8%. An 8% difference in your leg angle range, in if you just were to change that leg angle range at the same position, it's like dropping your seat post by two or three centimeters. So, 
and no one wants to ride on a seat that's two or three centimeters lower. So with this in mind, you can actually, um, you know, test all these different positions very easily out on the road and then sort of like tailor custom your position to actually how you race in that sense. So how did you use this data to alter your current position or what was your current position? Um, so for me, like, I wanted to be obviously riding at my best in my race position. Uh, that was the first thing. Also, um, climbing. Um, I really believe, like, I have, I get dropped faster on the climbs. <laughs> so I think I should uh, more focus on the climbing position. And so what I wanted to do also is I noticed that when you go up a climb, um, and let's say it's a 5% climb, it's the same thing what happens with your bottom bracket and your seat. So when your bike rotates, you're going up a climb as your front wheel goes up your your seat actually goes further back behind the bottom bracket <clears throat> and um and also your seat also changes the same incline as what the climb is so with this in mind I'm, i tried to calculate what's best for me with my pelvic angle my pelvic rotation and pelvic rock and have this exact same position on most of the climbs also and uh and the reason why i have this triathlete position as you say is with you know uci is this rule that you have to be five centimeters behind the bottom bracket and they clearly know this but you can have a pretty good position producing more power as more as <clears throat> if you're in a more forward position so my riding style is that you know I'm, I'm chasing breakaways or i'm starting lead outs doing lead outs and i'm not really sprinting and i'm just holding a good position and very stable position so for me it was more okay i want to adopt this and I found some huge imbalances with my um, my right ankle, and I've sprained it a few times. And I can really see this with the limo sensor because with we also measure FAR, which is um, foot angle range. And I do have a lot of ankling, and because I have a lot of ankling in my right foot, I see that my leg angle range changes. So my right leg has a higher leg angle range compared to my left. And it's just something that I okay, I work on the strength of my right ankle, and then I just try and be more. Um, uh, more 50-50 with my legs and just to touch on the 50-50 when you have a power meter that reads 50-50 that's one thing and I have very good 50-50% ratio with my power output so what I'm if you look at my files I'm always like 49.7 on one leg and then 50.3 on the other leg but I have it at the start I had a totally different leg angle range so I'm producing the exact same power on both of the pedals but my legs are actually doing something totally different to get that power, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. 40%? Yeah, yeah, 40% again. <laughs> but Because you work, um, you're a representative of the Peloton with, uh, working with the UCI, am I correct in saying that? With CPA. CPA, that's yep. Can we see you pushing, using this technology, saying like, look here, Riders would be able to eliminate um, injuries if you allowed to lax the saddle position a little bit more, allow them to have a bit more free range with how they position their bike. Racing might, racing will still be as fast, racing will still be as aggressive as we want to see. This positioning isn't going to change how how bike races are run, but it will eliminate injuries for people. Well, good question. Um, there's not, <clears throat> regards to UCI rules and having injury on the bike, the only proven 
and I'll, I'll, I haven't seen the the, the, the the tests and studies done on this, but there used to be a UCI rule on the seat angle. Um, I can't remember if it's three degrees or four degrees. I think they dropped it to something like nine degrees recently. I think it's like open. Like two years ago. Yeah, well, it's pretty open now. Well, it was really pretty strict. And um, it was actually proven, I was told, this is second-hand information, that the reason why they relaxed on this rule is because a lot of guys had a problem because uh, they couldn't get the seat further down at the tip. So when the seat actually goes further up, you have a lot more pressure um, down below. And just to release that pressure, you know, there's a few things you can do. You can raise your um, handlebars up higher. And when you raise your handlebars handlebars up higher, your pelvic angle automatically changes. And um, if you see on my bike that I have a very um, slanted um, down seat, uh, seat angle and because of this I don't need to I don't have less pressure there and then I can have a more extreme pressure on my um, on my pelvic angle um, but in terms of with limo and um, uh, with injury prevention um, I had a really good example last year I crashed pretty badly in Pavask and all down my right side and when I went training directly afterwards with the Lemo system, um, so when you look on the graphs of your training files with the Lemo, you have um, your leg angle range, your foot angle range and everything. And pretty much when you look at it, if you don't understand it, every, the two lines of both the legs should be together. And if they deviate, then something's wrong. Because then you have one is having a higher leg angle range than the other one and they show. <clears throat> and my, right, my whole right side was totally off. And it wasn't until like two or three weeks I could you could you could see the, the the two lines in the graph slowly coming back together, and and then I knew okay that's when my body's ready and I'm back symmetrical and I'm ready to race again. So do you monitor your position with Neoma very regularly? I mean, on an, on a everyday or on training rides, how often will you fit yourself up with all the sensors and monitor all of this? Um, well, I think. Uh, like with the, the, the seminar I did um, two days ago, I went through a, a series of, um, just a few a series of topics. And what I was trying to show just in the seminar was more of a, um, it wasn't the basics, it was really um, a bit more advanced, but there's so many things you can do, so many things you can see. And for me, it's like, okay, you can use it just to see how you are um, on an everyday um, ride, but f- what I'm trying to do is, so I use it probably a lot more, um, n- a lot more than probably someone normally would, because I'm s- I'm still trying to develop new ways of using it, um, trying to find new things, trying to find the benefits of it. Obviously, I work for them, so this is the reason why I'm doing it. But it's it's just also it's like it's fun to have more numbers and see it and be interested in it. Um, so on. You know, if I'm doing a, a different type of interval um, or something new uh, in, a, in a training plan, I like to have it. If I do, um, I did a nine-hour uh, bike ride once, and I really want to see how my body affects over the nine hours. Um, if I'm doing a, a coffee shop ride, um, I probably won't use it in some sense. But on the other side, I do believe, and I, I, you guys maybe heard this also when we're talking with um, Brad McGee brought it up, is on a coffee shop ride, especially like on the second rest day in a Grand Tour, you have really sloppy pedal stroke. And you're actually teaching yourself a bad habit in a sense. So in some ways you shouldn't, if you're not going to ride in a good efficient position, you shouldn't just go out and just do this one hour ride. Because you're actually teaching bad habits. So in some sense, even on these type of rides, you should be using a system like this just to make sure that you're always having a good technique. 
So, in that seminar, you also showed the uh, limo being used in time trials and the idea that you can use it to hold a position, to hold a head angle, to keep your most aerodynamic position. Is that something you're doing yourself? Um, so, you actually mean in the time trials? or mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, we've just released this um, baseline feature, um, as you said, where um, we pretty much put the rider in that position and once he's in that position we mark it and then um, every time he deviates uh, on the screen it changes color to notify you if you're out of that position um, and this is something that the company's been working on for I think uh, about six to seven months um, and now with the baseline feature that we can actually see it in real time um, but where before because the colors change on the display when you deviate from your position um, where before you would have to know your angles exactly uh, so, um, this is something, yes, yeah, with the um, aero tuck and head, there's something uh, new. Um, so, I actually haven't used it uh, myself because I haven't done a TT since Switzerland. <laughs> so, it's done um, well before. Um, but, yeah, definitely I'll be um, yeah, aiming for to do this because we did our aerodynamic testing on the track and the training camp in December. And the number one thing um, for us was we found so much watt gains is when you're just more aero on your shoulders, just getting riders more slimmer now. So before it was, you know, as low as possible, and now it's more slimmer with the shoulders, and the shoulders were the biggest factor. So, um, I mean, your team has been sponsored by Lotto for, uh, sorry, your team has been sponsored by Laser Helmets for quite a while. And, you know, Laser had, well, they still have that, the inclination sensor that, they, that, that you're able to put into some of their helmets. Um, I don't know if it's something that you've used before, but I know that inclination sensor was something that would give you, I think it was an audible alert if, you know, if your head angle was not within the prescribed range. I mean, is this sort of a, I mean, it's obviously from a different company, but it seems like it's along the same ideas and it gives you more of a, a visual indicator on your, on your head unit. I mean, is this something that... Um, is this something that you think would potentially be used in more real time by more riders and more teams potentially? Yeah, so the head unit of the, uh, <clears throat> the Type S that displays information also has a vibration, uh, set, uh, some sense of vibration motor inside. So <clears throat> what we're going to do in the future is we're going to have the whole um, unit vibrate. So if a rider wants to use a system in a race, we'll have the, the device in the back and then as soon as they deviate from any position, it will vibrate in the future. So it's a little bit um, it's a little bit a step ahead from the laser system because the idea of the laser system um, and I never I never used it I knew we had it and some guys um, uh, did test it um, and basically if that just changed the angle um, yeah it would it would go off but it's a bit more it is a I think it's a bit more complicated than just um, because with this with the laser. And, and don't quote me here, I think it's more about just looking down and then looking up. Um, and yes, that is bad when you look down, you put the teardrop up and that creates a lot of turbulence and slows you down. Uh, but with this, it's more about also forwards and back motion too. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's almost the same. Um, and, you know, that gave tactical feedback. So, it's, um, yeah, so Limo is doing that also. Are we allowed to say who you've been working with in the time trial world, in the track world? Yeah. Yeah, so you were, once we finish this podcast, you're off dashing off to go and have breakfast with a certain Mr. Dennis, aren't you? <laughs> and yes. then there's um, uh, the current, our re- he's, yeah, he's a current hour record holder, isn't he? Yeah, for a long and, time he will be. Yeah, yeah, it's a huge, huge mileage. Um, you were saying that now he uh, 
when he's doing his sit-ups, sits in his time trial position, does he use the limo to hold that position when he's doing the sit-ups? No. Um, no, he doesn't use the limo to when he's practicing his um, time trial position. He practices time trial position. Like I was rooming with him in the Giro, also in China, and he'll just um, he'll be on his computer and he'll just hold the time trial position in, on his bed. And like he just does it for hours and hours and hours. I know I know that sounds crazy, but um, as a rider, you have your position, and you know we spoke about this with um, Bradley McGee also that you know you start, you think you're in a position, but you you deviate. And even when you're out of your position a little, you, you, you still think you're in it. So this is where the limo is really, um, you know, just to be reminded so many times within the race. And also, which I forgot to mention, um, with the training files, you can actually see when you get out of the position also. So with Victor, um, yeah, he's, uh, so I worked with him with his um, changing bikes from one team to another, um, from the Ridley to the BMC, just to capture his position, make sure it's exactly the same on the new position, a new, a same position on the new bikes. Um, and he's wanting a limo system. Uh, I've used it with him in China also because that's also one of the beauties of the system. You can go outside, you can do the test outside, it's portable. Um, and with the, the baseline feature of holding the aero tuck, um, yeah, he's been asking for it for quite a long time. So now we have it, and I've just got to give, give it to him. So I, I have a product idea for you. Okay. And I, and I think it would tap into your, to your uh, you're working with carbon fiber these days. I mean, it sounds like, you know, how like Formula One drivers have custom seats made for, for their, their physique, their body position and everything. You should make a carbon fiber cradle that he can wear so that he can just hold his time trial position all the time in the car, on the plane. Just yeah, wear it like true. a turtle shell. Yeah, it's true. That's actually, um, yeah. The next big thing. Yeah. Right, we'll be around to your, wet, your, your shed to watch you make <laughs> in a couple of weeks. But speaking of uh, using Leomo to to uh i guess look at your position your setup uh and i know one of the things that you had talked about in in the seminar that you gave a couple days ago was how to replicate your your fit exactly from bike to bike using your body position instead of the hard points on the bike is that something that you is that something that you feel like may be more common moving forward oh for sure um like when i get my team bikes um for me for me, my seat height means nothing because you have sham- you have different chamois in uh, different thicknesses and um, companies love changing this without notice. Um, you get older seats and newer seats. Uh, you'll come to a race and a seat manufacturer will give you a brand new seat. Um, and so for me, what I do is uh, <coughs> seat height means nothing. My leg angle range is everything to me, and that's how I adjust my bike. So whatever I have, my leg angle range on one bike, I want on another bike. And when I did nationals last year, I got my race bike um, the night before, <clears throat> and basically when I was just riding to the race, I just rode the bike and was new seat and everything. And it was a different seat post. And and just as a quick, a uh, good example with the seminar I did before is, I put a sensor underneath the seat. And I measured the angle of the seat. I think it was just from memory, it was uh, 8.5 degrees. That's not the seat angle. That's just where the, the sensor was placed <clears throat> on underneath the seat. And when I sat on the seat, the seat changed to, I think, 10.2 degrees. So it sagged quite a bit. Yeah, it sagged quite a bit. And, you know, if you put a bike in a, uh, in a bike jig and then you had the exact same, uh, you measured the seat angle, and then you went to a different bike. And the problem with my bike, because it's 
the, the seat is so far forwards, the mounting point is so far back. So I, when you sit central on the seat, it's always going to sag a little. Where if the seat post clamp was directly underneath where I sit, then it wouldn't sag. So if you're changing to a different bike, so my um, TT bike, for example, the seat post is directly under the seat in the center of the rails. So it's not going to, um, <clears throat> it, it might sag, but it's the, the angle's not going to change. So using a bike jig to just set up two different bikes from uh, different manufacturers and different bike seats and even different seats, you, you replicate the, the same seat angle and everything, but the way your pelvic sits on the seat will be totally different. So someone can give me a different seat, and as long as I'm comfortable on the seat, seats will have different shapes. And when seats have different shapes, it's a bit of a nightmare to try and get the same seat angle because, like, where do you measure it from? And some seats, um, you know, they might be very high at the back, and if you measure from the back and you don't even touch that back, then your pelvic angle is going to be totally different. So I'll throw a seat on, and then all I'll try and do is I'll, I'll change the, the seat angle based on what my pelvic angle is. And if my pelvic angle is good at 62.5 degrees, which it is for me, I'll move the seat in the direction where I want that. Um, so I hope that answers. Yeah, so just trying to remember your question. <clears throat> so uh, with uh, making sure... Yeah, you know, it's not about what the bike is, it's about how your body's moving. So I want the same leg angle ranges and I want the same pelvic angle on my new bike to my old bike. And to me, that's the most important thing when you have a, a different bike. I mean, it, it sounds to me like, uh, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know how much longer you plan on continuing your race, but it sounds like a very natural segue into a different career path still remaining in pro cycling after you hang it up. Yeah, well, with... Um you know, I always said I wouldn't hang around cycling <clears throat> afterwards, but with Lima, I really love this. Um, I love the product, I love the technology. I love how it's, um, you know, it's never ending. It's there's so many possibilities you can do with this product to improve your your cycling um, fitting. Um, just and it's just not also on the bike. It's also they're into running, um, uh, weightlifting. They want to get into golf. Um, you know, so you can replicate someone's. Uh, you know, you, you can throw the sensors on someone, see what a a good swing is see what someone does a bad swing um we did a pretty cool test where we were um trying to work out the difference from cornering what makes a good corner to a bad corner so putting sensors on the bike um we were seeing and we had the rider follow the exact same path and you know a good corner would actually dive into the corner and then actually hold that position and come out even sooner where a bad handler would actually dive into the corner a bit earlier then he'll straighten the bike up a little then you'll go back into the corner and then you'll come back out and we can actually see when that rider actually applied the power um, after the corner and also before the corner and how many more um, extra pedal strokes uh, the difference was um, it's just is there's so many things you can do with it so for me this is an exciting product and this is something definitely i'd like to do after cycling so we can, we're going to see you stick around a little bit longer. So is there anybody, apart from Ron Dennis, who you'd, in the peloton who you'd love to get your hands on? That you go, there's work to be done there. I think I can get more out of them. What? <laughs> um, well, I think, uh, I, think a, I think the majority of the peloton would actually, you could get a good benefit from it. Because I've seen, I've heard so many riders that go to a bike fit and they're just not convinced and then afterwards they just always go back to the old position and and when i and riders always do everything based on feeling and normally when you do a bike fit there's not real clear evidence of this is a better position 
where because with the lemur we can measure everything we can actually clearly show you know data doesn't lie the numbers do not lie well, and you can do it outside yeah you can do it outside and that's what riders want because once you do it and it could just be placebo and a lot of rides are like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. And it's true. You feel good when you do a 30-second test on a, in a bike fitting um, studio. <clears throat> and, you know, if you do it inside and then you get the rider and then with the system and you get them to ride and race afterwards, you can actually see it can be different. And then it's like, well, okay, that's why you probably went back to your old position because, you know, you're not actually holding that position you did in the bike test. Um, so yeah, with the limo, we can actually, you know, show this is the new position. Um, okay. You didn't actually do it on the, out on the road. You actually sat totally different and it's true. You slide forwards on the saddle. Um, you know, you might be, if there's more of a headwind, you might be even lower and that changes your pelvic angle. Um, so it's, I think, uh, it would be, it's more convincing for a cyclist and you can actually show, you can actually, with the numbers, you can actually show you that the, the position is actually better for them. Are you allowed to say what you've learned with Rowan Dennison? Are you allowed to say how you've changed his position? Or is that all top secret? So with Rowan, I actually um, I, I do a lot of data collecting with him, but I, I don't actually play around with his position. With um, with Victor, we, we looked at him all. We did a more cleat. Um, uh, we did cleat, uh, cleat uh, test with him. So uh, with the cleat test, uh, we just um and this is what one thing i like about the lima it is so fast to do test what i like to do is i like to do a range of testing so <clears throat> when you do a normal bike fit you'll test one position and then there's always like a baseline and they'll push you to where they think you should go and they might deviate based on the numbers they get so what i do is i test everything so um, just with the seat position i'll test your, your baseline i'll push you back you know three measures i'll try th three trials backwards three trials forwards i'll go up i'll go lower and i'll do like a circular of all tests and then i'll go in the direction what fits for you how you are and with the cleat position it's exactly the same <clears throat> so i do more i did a lot of this with um uh, uh victor uh with rowan um it's more data collecting um and also um, I don't like to play around unless I see something. I won't. I won't touch these type of athletes because, you know, they're riding perfectly at the moment. <clears throat> but what I have noticed is if I get Rowan's file, Tim Wellen's file, um, my file, Victor's file, and some amateurs and some uh, female cyclists, uh, just by looking at the files, I can say which rider is better. I can put them really. I can put them in order from the best rider to the worst rider just by looking at the files. And then if I had the names next to it, it'd be match up. And exactly. And that's, and that's without power data as well, right? That's without that's power data. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the dead spot score is uh, another thing that we have um, with the Lemo. And this is like Tim Wellings was just absolutely perfect. Um, I was really surprised with, um, because that's the other thing. When we spoke about like that coffee shop ride where you just, you know, you're just clunking on the pedals. You're not focusing on your, on your pedal stroke. Um, Rowan Dennis had this file that was just, it wasn't, as good as Tim Wellens, but Tim Wellens' test was done um, at Energy Lab where he did a, a lactate test, so it's an all-out. And when you do it on a stationary, you, you, you do have a better dead spot score. So Rowan didn't have as good, but he had almost picture-perfect dead spot score, and he did this doing intervals up a hill and down a hill. And when you think like that, it was outside, and when you descend, you don't have the best technique. And it's not because... Um, you know you're lazy it's just like you know you, you do some pedal strokes through the corners and you stop and then you sort of go again and you and so he was doing efforts up the hill and just cruising down the hill and his dead spot score was like 
pretty much perfect. That's fascinating. Mm. And I guess also certainly helps explain why he's so good. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the whole thing. You want to be as efficient as possible. And when, when I talk about like the, um, the accelerometer sensor on the thigh, um, and that's uh, when you were actually measuring how the thigh goes from the top of the stroke to the bottom of the stroke, a lot of riders pull us through that. And, um, you know, Victor, he is just as fluid as possible, really as fluid as possible. And John Dagenkoff also, super fluid. I'm, I'm you know, I, I've improved mine quite a lot. And then you put some of the amateur cyclists in there, and it's a huge difference. It's a massive difference. All right. Well, it looks like, it looks like I'm going to go get myself fitted up then. <laughs> well, cool. Adam, I think we should probably wrap this up. Uh, thanks a bunch for your time, and I'm really curious to see where this goes. Yeah, we'll let you go and uh, chat to Mr. Ron Dennis, world champ. Thank you. <laughs> go and tell him what he needs to get sorted. I will, and thank you for the vegan banana cake. Which is unfortunately probably cold now. Yeah, we're, we're thoughtful here. That's okay. <laughs> cool. Thanks, Adam. Thank, thank you very much. You. Thanks, guys. That was some nerditude. That was some. That was a lot of nerditude. I mean, I have to say, for as long as I've done this, I always think to myself every now and then how, like, you kind of wonder what some of these riders are planning for themselves after they are done with their athletic careers, and some of them may have put a little bit more thought into it than others. But I don't really worry about Adam Hansen a whole lot. I think he's going to be just fine. I think he's going to be all right. Yep, nerds rule the world. We should hire him. We don't have the money for him. Um. It's a funny story. When we put out a ad for a uh, developer a couple years ago, he sent in a resume, and I think it was partially in jest, but you never know. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. With that, that is the end of this week's Nerd Alert. If you're here in Adelaide, come say hi. We're doing live podcasts at 5 o'clock from the Black Sheep Chateau every single day until Thursday. And if you're not here in Adelaide, well, then you'll hear us in two weeks' time. We're also doing rides, leaving every morning at 7.30, I believe, with locations that are designated on the Cycling Tips website. For Velo Club members, or people who might want to be Velo Club members, so basically just show up if you want to show up. Show up with money. Yeah. We're taking, we're taking submissions at the door. James takes cash. <laughs> he's got his, his, his F-Puffs machine in his back pocket. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. All right. Nerd Alert will be back in two weeks. But listen to the regular Cycling Tips podcast all this week. And if you like what you've heard on Nerd Alert, please consider giving us a rating. And also, definitely subscribe so you never miss a future Nerd Alert. Bye, everybody. See ya. Ciao. See ya.